Yeah. So I like, I've, I created this name for the fearful avoidance. I like to call them the rebels Love it because I feel so again, they have both of those aspects to themselves. They have the avoidant and the anxious aspect. So, so they're well-rounded in the sense of, you know, um, with the, um, the anxious aspect, like they know how to connect with people. They are, Mm -hmm. um, uh, they do have empathy for people. They have this attunement for people. So they have that capability to love and connect, which is beautiful. Um, but they also have these avoidant aspects. So this need to withdraw this need of like, um, I need to get away in order to not get so enmeshed with you. Um, just Mm -hmm. scared of intimacy, scared of the responsibility that comes with commitment and someone depending on them. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the New Paradigm Podcast. I'm your host, Giselle Plamondon. I'm an intuitive counselor, psychological astrologer, and human design teacher and I wanted to create this podcast with the intention of really helping people move into this new paradigm way of being. As many of you know, we are moving out of a global cycle that was about um, really where we had to trade our authenticity in order to belong and now we're moving into a global cycle that is about self-empowerment self-growth and connection so let's have conversations about how to easily move into this new paradigm together hello good morning everyone so You probably noticed that the podcast has a whole new vibe, a new feel, a new soundtrack intro, everything. And as most of you know, I am a 3-5 manifesting generator. I am always kind of changing and shifting and growing. So the new focus, the new vision for the podcast is really to have conversations about the new paradigm and what that looks like in all areas of life new paradigm money new paradigm relationship new paradigm success new paradigm creativity you know everything we're going to be talking about everything the new schedule for the podcast will be every friday there will be a new episode out some will be solo just me kind of riffing on something and then some will be guests one of the things that i'm really committed to is only bringing on guests when i feel like it's a good fit and when it spontaneously happens so what was happening before was i was getting so overwhelmed with always trying to have new guests on the podcast for you that Um, It just became too much and I wasn't able to properly like tune in and and really listen to my gut, you know, on whether um, the person I was interviewing was a good fit for you guys or not. So we are going to have guests. Most episodes I think will be solo episodes, but we'll see. I'm leaving space for that to kind of grow and shift as well as there will be some added things like meditations, affirmations, some of those types of things 
just to help support you on this journey as we move into the new paradigm into this new global cycle things are going to shift and change and i really want to support people in that growth and in that change and to really help you guys um just even figure out like who you want to be and, and where you want to fit within that growth and that change. This is the work that I'm doing myself. This is what my own spiritual practice looks like right now. And so it makes a lot of sense just to open up dialogue and have conversations with you guys. So today's episode uh, I thought would be perfect for the launch because it's a great bridge between the old paradigm and the new paradigm. Um, specifically when it comes to relationships. So today um, in this episode, I'm talking to my coach, Jessica. I've been working with her for a couple weeks now. Um, I guess actually a month. It's been a while. So we're doing attachment coaching and I'm working on my attachment style with her. And one of the reasons that I love her and love her work is that she has created her own system within working with attachment you know she doesn't just follow um somebody else's method you know she's really done her own work and done her own research she's teaching from a place of um embodiment you know she's really like living the work that she's doing and she's come up with her own way of being within this the other thing that I really like about her approach is that she's open to learning about astrology and human design and some of these things and, and how that might um, correlate or interact with her work. So in this episode, her and I just talk about fearful avoidant attachment. Uh, the reason that we chose to go into that is because there's not a lot of information about fearful avoidant attachment. If you Google attachment style, if you even pick up an attachment book, most of the research, most of the literature out there is on anxious and avoidant attachment, right? So we wanted to talk a little bit about this missing link, especially because for both of us, it, it it's our primary attachment style. Um, so... What else do you need to know? Let me just think here. Um, yeah, and then the only other thing that I wanted to make sure that you guys know about is that uh, the new membership, PRISM, if you haven't heard of it yet, I launched a membership this summer that is really about astrology and human design and the blend and how do we use these these tools to really create joy and ease and and beauty in your life so this month in the membership the focus is new paradigm relationships so if you sign up now you'll get access to all of the previous recordings and teachings as well as have access to um Sunday's class which will be about the full moon we're really working with the oracle arch archetype we're really tapping into that Aquarius full moon energy and then you'll also be able to come live for the coaching call at the end of the month the first month of the membership is on me and then after that it's $33 a month so super affordable super doable for most people and the the content within the membership is just going to keep growing i'm really excited about it so 
yeah okay that's all I, I wanted to tell you I will do a little life update maybe next week I won't get into that because this is already a pretty long episode but I hope you guys are having a wonderful summer and I can't wait to connect with you uh, let me know your thoughts on this new vibe on the new vision for the podcast and and also let me know if there's any specific topics that you want me to dive into Let's just like jump right in. I'm so excited <laughs> for people to get this info because like I'm a therapist and I have been studying attachment for like six or seven years and I didn't even recognize that I had fearful avoidance attachment. I always thought I was just anxious attachment and I think it was because my mind didn't even let me go there about you know because of a lot of the stories that we have about fearful avoidance attachment and what it looks like and and who that belongs to, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm really excited to dive into this topic specifically because I actually literally remember I was on TikTok and your TikTok popped up and I was like, oh, there's Jessica. Like, I wonder what she's <laughs> up to. And then I went to your page and started like just scrolling through your posts just to see like how you've been and like what you've been doing. And because um, I think we lost connection there for a few years right and mm -hmm. then um I was like oh my god I have fearful avoidant <laughs> attachment and then that's when I reached out right yeah so I would love to just talk about fearful avoidance attachment and like what that is let's start there yeah for sure so so if you read, a lot of people have read the book Attached and usually that yeah. by Amir Levine. And usually that's like the, the main book that people go to when they learn about attachment styles. The only thing with that specific book and other books is that it focuses on the three main attachment styles that John Bowlby uh, discovered, which is, um, you know, the anxious, the dismissive avoidant and the secure attachment. Um, it's just that later on, uh, this psychologist, Mary Ainsworth, she did more studies on it. I think it was a strange, strange situation experiment. And what they observed was that there is this other subgroup, um, which is the fearful avoidant, but uh, the people also call it disorganized attachment. Um, and this group in specific, it, it goes kind of undiagnosed because with this specific group, there's um, a lot of trauma with it. So with fearful avoidance, you have both anxious and avoidant tendencies. The only thing is that there is a fear component there. So with this specific group, um, you know, these children, they, you know, um, uh, there was a lot of abuse in the relationship. So whether it was physical, sexual, emotional, um, psychological abuse. So, you know, that stuff goes underdiagnosed because people don't talk about it. So if yeah. you look at the statistics, it says only 5% of the population is fearful avoidant. However, most of my clients have all been, mm -hmm. you know, fearful avoidant. So again, I think it's just something that we don't share because of the shame around being abused in a lot of ways. So I yep. think it's really prevalent. We just don't talk about it as much. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause, um, I like wonder if as we explore this, we're going to find that there's a huge portion of the population that are fearful avoidant. Right. Um, especially if that's what you're seeing that a, a huge portion of your clients are fearful avoidance as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think the other thing that I know for me had me, even as a therapist, not recognize the fearful avoidant uh, tendencies within myself is this idea of what trauma and abuse looks like, right? Is this idea of like, I had a generally good childhood, right? But there are these very specific things that are confusing and chaotic for kids, even if the parents are well-meaning, right? And I think with myself and then even looking at some of the clients now that I'm like, oh no, I know that we've been talking about anxious attachment, but when we really boil this down, I think there might be fearful avoidance attachment. Um, Mm. I think there's this one stereotype that often many people have about what that type of abuse would even look like. Right. Yeah. So we can talk more about that because when we think of abuse, you know, we think of like physical abuse, like that's like what people usually think of. Okay. Well, my parents didn't hit me. You know, my, I didn't, my dad was kind to my mom. Like there was none of that happening in the household, but then there's also more subtle um, types Mm -hmm. of abuse, such as like emotional or psychological abuse, where it's, you know, as as small as like a criticism, like that consistent criticism or just putting you down or you witnessing maybe your mom putting your dad down or your dad putting your mom down. Um, You know, also if um, there's that emotional instability, so maybe mom is just naturally emotional. And some days she's great. And other days she's like really scary and she can take out that, um, you know, aggravation onto you or the kids. And so you just, and that's the thing too, it's, we all develop these attachments so differently based off of our different sensitivities. Yes. Um, That was my next question actually. Yeah, exactly. Which is interesting because we'll talk more about this later on about human design and having certain centers open. And so there's so many factors that can contribute to our levels of sensitivity. Um, For me personally, I was very sensitive. So the way I internalized my mom's emotional outbursts and um, like her unpredictabilities, uh, it really pained me. So for me, I trusted my mom. She was a source of comfort. But I was also terrified of like um, getting her to that point, right? So there's mm-hmm. that fear component there where it's not just just anxious attachment. There's this fear component of like, <gasps> I'm scared to get, you know, I don't want to burst this bubble. So yes. that's where the fear, fearful avoidant attachment comes in. Yes. And that, okay, even like the human design piece is really, really interesting. Um, I'm going to pull up your chart here too. Yeah, you do have it. Okay. We need to talk about this. We need to talk about this because <laughs> this is something that I've been thinking about a lot with myself of like, um, my, my mom was the same way. My mom is like the most loving, open-hearted, right. like people meet my mom and they're like, you're same an angel. angel, angel. Yes. Yes. And she is, but she's also a highly sensitive person. And when her environment is not healthy, she is not healthy. And so raising three kids was really tough on her, I think emotionally. And just with her sensitivity, she's also very independent and she needs a lot of alone time and she didn't get that. And so she would get very frustrated and very irritated and very overwhelmed. And as the oldest child, and then with my high sensitivity, I took on responsibility for keeping everything calm, right? And we can even go into some of the human design stuff. Whereas I remember my youngest sister, who she's very sensitive also, but in other ways, she was kind of just like, had this like, fuck you attitude, like, fuck you, whatever, you can be in a bad mood. It didn't impact her in the same way. 
right? And that, I think we can find that sensitivity in the human design chart when we're looking at the solar plexus yes. and then also some other gates that people carry. Yeah. Right? Giselle, we have like identical histories, by the way. <laughs> we have That's identical probably histories. why we get along so well. Yeah. We just like see each other. Um, but I think also part of it, I want to talk about gate 49. So let, let's actually mm. just dive into the human design for a minute here. Perfect. Um, so where is my notes on this? Um, gate. So this is a solar plexus gate. Okay, here we go. There's gate 49 and gate 19 and they work together. Um, I have gate 19 and you have gate 49 and this channel is a highly, highly sensitive channel. Mm. So people who have one, one of these gates or both of these gates has a higher sensitivity to their environment um, and to the way that they experience their environment. So um, with you having gate 49, there's really this energy of like, I can't handle this. And there's um, an intensity to that energy. Um, yeah. And a feeling of like, I have to do something to change this. So there's maybe a bit more responsibility in that. So people who carry gate 49, if they're in a, a space where they can't take control and change things and make things feel more calm or or just more equal, that feels very emotionally difficult, mm. right? So as the kid having gate 49, um, kids with gate 49 tend to feel very helpless. That's kind of the energy, right? Did oh, you feel that way? Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Whereas kids with gate 19, which is the, the side that I have, um, of that same channel, it's less of a, a helpless feeling, um, and more of a, like wanting to be helpful energy. Mm. So it, it's like, um, I'm just going to people, please. I'm going to adapt. I'm going to use my sensitivity to kind of predict and manage. Right. And so it's two sides of the same coin. Right. And so I just wonder if people with those two energies are more prone to maybe a fearful avoidant attachment because we're more tapped into the energy around us. A hundred percent. And I'm going to just say, I think human design is like a perfect explanation for the differences. Because if you look at the studies between like twins, right? Like yeah. why is it that two twins have perhaps different attachment styles, even though they were raised in the same environment, like same parents. Um, and it really comes down to I mean, obviously their environments can be different based off of like maybe secure attachments they have with friends or with other family members that the other one doesn't have, but also just to like who they are, like their energy and their mm -hmm. sensitivities are very different. And I think human design just can explain that so well, just by having yeah. those different gates and susceptibilities, yes. you know? Yes. And, yeah. and explaining why yeah why we can have essentially the same parents and right. then very different experiences of that parent it's really really interesting I think yeah because I've had yeah. a lot of people say that where they're like yeah I'm fearful avoidant but my sister is definitely more anxious mm -hmm. um you know and, and it's true like parents will like if you're parentified like if you look at um yeah like um 
what am I, what's the word that I'm looking for? But anyways, if you are the oldest one and then, you know, out of three kids, like you mentioned, like I, me too, there's three sisters. I was the oldest, there's the middle and there's the youngest and me and the youngest, and we have similar attachment styles, but the middle child, Mm -hmm. she has more avoidant tendencies. Hey, that's exactly my family. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Me and my sister, both probably fearful avoidant. My brother, middle child, full-on avoidant, right. like full-on, like, you know, full avoidant. So that's interesting how like birth order might even like yes. play into that a little bit. Exactly. That was the word I was looking for. <laughs> birth order. Yes. Yeah. It plays a huge factor in also um, how our attachment styles are developed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So can we talk a bit about fearful avoidant and what it looks like, how it shows up so people can be like, oh yeah, that's me or that's not me. Like what are the things that you typically see with people that have this attachment style? Yeah. So I like, I've, I created this name for the fearful avoidance. I like to call them the rebels Love it because I feel, so again, they have both of those aspects to themselves. They have the avoidant and the anxious aspect. So So they're well-rounded in the sense of, you know, um, with the, um, the anxious aspect, like they know how to connect with people. They are, Mm -hmm. um, uh, they do have empathy for people. They have this attunement for people. So they have that capability to love and connect, which is beautiful. Um, but they also have these avoidant aspects. So this need to withdraw this need of like, Um, I need to get away in order to not get so enmeshed with you. Um, Just Mm -hmm. scared of intimacy, scared of the responsibility that comes with commitment and someone depending Mm -hmm. on them. So you'll see like the rebel, right? Like they're just always kind of going back and forth. And so once they feel like, okay, this person wants more of me, I'm going to rebel against this feeling. But then, you know, flip side, um, this person doesn't want me. I'm going to rebel against this as well. So there's just so much confliction. There's so much conflicting feelings of like, what do I want? Why is it that I, you know, love this person, but I keep backing away from them every time they try to um, get closer. So Mm. it's, it's a tough place to be in. Um, But really it just comes down to, they are afraid of developing deeper intimacy because they have subconscious beliefs of, I will be betrayed right? Mm -hmm. This person is going to take advantage of me. They're going to exploit me. I can't trust people based off of the experiences they had with their care, one or both caregivers of, you know, I, I can come close to mom, but then mom will sometimes be really scary. So I can't really trust her. I can't really trust people. So you create this like idea of how people are based off of your earlier attachment relationships. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So it's that like, I want you but like stay, but stay, stay away, stay over there. Right. So, you know, Katy Perry's um, song, like you're hot, then you're cold, you're yes, then you're (laughs) no, like that is like our theme song. (laughs) Yes. You want to know something so funny. I used to like project that onto my partner. So I used to always be like, oh, you're so hot and cold. And like, they would always be like, no, you are hot and cold. I am responding to you. And I was always like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Whatever. And then I got older. I was like, oh no, that is me. That's 100% me, but I'm very subtle about it. Right. My hot and cold is very subtle. And then the partners that I'm dating kind of react to that energy. Right. So it's, Um, it's funny that you bring that song up because that was a huge song that I loved and just like 
yeah um, felt very connected to uh, as a yeah. teenager yeah and it's yeah. so easy like you said to like project that onto others and be like <laughs> you're like this but really we have to take that look at ourselves if we're not conscious of our behaviors and when we're doing that so if you're full oh, of avoidance okay. very hot and cold in that regard yeah yeah another piece there too is with um with, uh, so with, and I'll do this with each of the insecure attachment styles, but like for anxious people, they have a good self-concept of others, but a, a bad, mm-hmm. um, idea of themselves. So they will praise others, but they don't do the same for themselves with, um, dismissive avoidance. They have a good self-concept, but when, but not a good concept of others with, mm-hmm. um, with fearful avoidance, they have like this negative self-concept and also a negative self-concept of others. Mm. So, so yeah, with fearful avoidance, like there's lots of work to be done because, um, it's just the way that they relate to themselves and others is really Mm -hmm. skewed in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so I, I wonder if that's why, like, I look at even myself 10 years ago, like, I was a totally different person than I am now. And I can thank so much of my growth, you know, to therapy and human design yeah. and these things. Um, and it's like the, the more I heal, the more I just like feel generally safer in the world. Um, and I just feel like maybe people who have that fearful avoidance attachment, like, I don't know about you, but for me, I began with working on like relationships in terms of like, how can I have healthier relationships? Cause I thought that that would give me the safety, right? Like mm. if I can improve my relationships and have a healthier concept of other people, then I'll feel safe. But it wasn't true. I had to change the concept of myself. And when I did that, then I was able to start seeing other people more positively. Totally. And often people think like they go into therapy because they're like, I want to fix my relationship with this person. And then it always comes down to girl or boy, (laughs) like you got to fix your relationship with yourself. Like that's where it all starts from. Yeah. So yes, I love that. Um, yeah. Okay. Do you get very many avoidant clients or no? No. No, I don't. And again, it's because avoidance have a good self-concept of themselves. Yes. Um, so unless their partner or someone, their family member or friend is like, yo, like you got something going on. It's affecting our relationship. You go get help or else this isn't yeah. going to work. Then they'll have the motivation to go. But, but otherwise, if not, not, then they're totally okay. Yeah. With how and, they are. And- that's been my experience with clients as well. The only time I experience avoidantly attached clients is when they come in with their, their wife or their husband, (laughs) you know, and they're like, okay, I guess I have to fix this. Right. Um, but I know that we're talking mostly about fearful avoidant, but one thing I do love about your approach is that you don't demonize avoidantly attached Mm -mm. people. And I don't either. Um, so can we just talk about that for a minute about how they're not these like cruel, devilish, heartless beings that a lot of attachment coaches will make them out to be. Yeah. Can we talk about that. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, yeah. Avoidance just tend to have such a negative, um, uh, like people just have such a negative opinion about them. And, um, 
it's not the case, right? Like with each attachment style, there are certain traumas that come from it. And that's why we are that specific attachment or we have that specific attachment. Not that we are, we have that mm-hmm. specific attachment, <laughs> correct myself. Um, but with avoidance, they, like, if you look at their history, they just weren't taught to yeah. connect to themselves. They weren't taught to be like, Hey, these are my emotions. Let me look at my emotions. Let me process my emotions. You know, most likely they had one or two parents that didn't give them the time of day or they had very, it was based off of like very conditional love. Like you need to do mm-hmm. A, B, and C in order to get my love and my approval. So mm-hmm. they weren't ever like, let me look at me and see what I want, but more so um, trying to please others. So what mm-hmm. happens is that they just withdraw. They're like, fuck this. Yeah. This is too painful. Mm-hmm. Let me just do my own thing. Right. And so, and also if they don't get the attention, you know, when they're younger, they will naturally like start to play with different things and find other hobbies and other interests. So, you know, growing up, that's just how they relate. They'll get really into work or other hobbies or passion. So they don't really develop emotionally with people, but more so with like objects and, and Mm -hmm. hobbies and work. So it's not that they don't want love. They and, and all humans are wired for attachment. Mm-hmm. So we all have um, that desire. They just literally do not know how to operate well in it, which can yeah, be a problem. It's like foreign. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I like that explanation. One of the things that I I've noticed too, with like avoidant people versus anxious is like, um, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, but one of the patterns that I've seen is that my avoidantly attached clients are kind of like what I don't know can't hurt me. Right. And then my anxiously attached clients are often like, what I I don't know is going to hurt me. Like I want to know everything and all the details so that I can be prepared. And the avoidantly attached people are like, if I put the blinders on and we don't have the conversation and we pretend that everything's okay, then I'm okay. And it's just different ways of understanding pain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And again, it's just understanding. That's why understanding attachments is huge because we all have an attachment style. So if you can understand how your avoidant partner operates, right, you won't take as an anxious person who like needs to know, you won't Mm -hmm. take it so personally because it's not about you. It's literally that they just don't operate the same way as you do, right? So maybe the avoidant needs more space. They need more time to process, um, you know, when you're in a fight, whereas so like when you look at threat responses, mm-hmm. anxious attachment, when there's some conflict or misunderstanding, they'll fight. Like they want to know mm-hmm. what is happening. Let's mm-hmm. figure this out now so I can calm down. Mm-hmm. The avoidant does not process that way. They process alone because they weren't taught how to process with someone else. So they yeah. withdraw, right? So they flight. That's their um, threat response. So yeah. you can imagine like, the the friction cycle just like activated yeah yeah so when you can understand how you both operate in those instances it's like okay it's not just about me this is what he or she needs in order to collect themselves and then we'll come back you know so just having that insight alone is freaking amazing it's helped me so so much in my relationship totally and then is the fearful avoidant um, more prone to freeze and maybe even fawn? Yes. Yeah, girl. So yes. So the fearful avoidant freeze. Um, And again, like if you think about, you know, when they were younger, when they didn't understand, I mean, 
that fear response there, like what their, you know, their parents blowing up or fighting or whatever it was, they freeze. So what happens, Mm -hmm. what studies have said with fearful avoidance is that they'll dissociate, Mm -hmm. right? So they'll freeze, but in order to protect, to, to, to flight, right? Because they really want to run away, but they, maybe they can't in that moment. Um, Mm -hmm. So they'll run away in their minds, they'll dissociate. And what happens is that, that coping mechanisms, that coping mechanism becomes a trait becomes like Mm -hmm. a personality trait, which is linked to ADHD, by the way. Um, (laughs) Yes. It's like all combined. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to start a support group for people with an open solar plexus, ADHD, you know, like all of the things because yeah, yeah, just there's so many overlap and there's so So, much overlap. mm -hmm, So many components to it. Yeah. So yes. So with fearful avoidance, they'll freeze they'll dissociate. Um, and I see that sometimes too, like with my partner, he, when he gets angry, he'll like, he's working on something and he gets angry. It's not on me. Like, I know that I'm not in danger, Mm. but my, you know, my threat response is like danger, danger. And I'll just, I'll just dissociate. I'll like, just think about something else or, you know what I mean? It's very Mm -hmm. interesting. And I have to pick it up and be like, Hey, Jess, like come back, come back to reality and deal with this in a, a healthier way. And that's the thing. Like, it's okay to dissociate. Like that is a coping mechanism. It's just that we have to be in tune of how often we're doing that and yeah. when we're doing it. So we don't, it doesn't become like this, this habit. Right. Yes, totally. Um, yeah. And that's interesting because I recognize that um with some people in my life like yes that like if I'm around someone that's starting to get frustrated and angry even if it's not at me I like I'm so uncomfortable um and that's something I've had to do a lot of work on but I've noticed that with some people I will disassociate and then with some people I will try to fix it like I will fawn I'll be like okay you're mad like what are you Mm. mad about what do we need to do let's fix it so then you're good um and that usually obviously doesn't work right so Um, I think it's just, it's interesting seeing like what our nervous system is prone to doing based on these like early childhood experiences that we have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm so excited. Like, I feel like we're going to explore so much of this together. I feel like there's something really juicy that's gonna like come through from this blend of the attachment style work. And then the human design and astrology stuff. Yeah. And oh, a hundred percent. And just from like, I mean, I'm going to speak for both of us here just because I've talked to you so much about it. And a lot of our healing, because again, with the fearful avoidant, it's, it's really working on transforming your Mm -hmm. self-concept and also challenging your beliefs on other people and like commitment Mm -hmm. and relationships. So that's where a lot of the work comes in. But what I've noticed with both of us, so much of what has helped us just like understand ourselves and change that relationship to ourselves has been like the human design. I mean, psychology, obviously, right. And understanding how our brain works and like human behavior and that type of thing has been huge just to like, Mm -hmm. okay, it's not me. This is just why I am the way I am, but like exploring these other modalities, like human design and astrology, um, man, like that has helped so, so, so much in changing the way you view yourself and and view others. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's exactly it. Because I think, um, 
Yeah. Like I, I even look back at my twenties, I was always like, had a positive concept of other people. Um, as long as I wasn't dating them, <laughs> the moment I'd be dating someone, I'm like immediately like, wait, I don't know if I trust you. I don't know if, you know, whatever. I don't know if you're a good person. It was like, you're all of a sudden on trial and I'm going to like figure out. Yeah. Right. Um, but the thing that stopped me or really allowed me to stop doing that was just learning to love myself. Mm-hmm. And, and that work came mostly through accepting myself fully through astrology, through human design. And so it's been this ripple effect where um, I would say I'm way, way closer to secure attachment now than I was 10 years ago, but I haven't actually done attachment work. Like this is the first time I've done attachment work. It's all been with you. Mm -hmm. Um, I have just educated myself on attachment and then become more myself. So I think it also goes to show how much like that blend is so powerful. Totally, totally. And I also wanted to mention too, that, um, you know, with attachment styles, like our attachment styles can fluctuate throughout Mm -hmm. our lifetime from, you know, through people we date, our relationships, significant life events, um, you know, healings and traumas, but also that we all fall, like it's very multidimensional and we all fall on a spectrum. So, Mm -hmm. so for me, for instance, I have right now, I'm mostly secure but I also have anxious tendencies um, that tend to be a little bit more prevalent. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the thing too, is like, we we're not just one attachment style. We'll notice that we'll have different aspects. Um, Different attachment styles can be a little bit more prevalent. So you can be anxious uh, with avoidant tendencies or Mm. secure with anxious tendencies. Um, So it's always good to kind of explore explore that in your relationships to see kind of where you tend to gauge your behavior where it tends to come from yeah yeah and how that's shifting and changing and yeah because I think that's a really good that's probably another reason I didn't tag the fearful avoidant um was because in my teens and early 20s I dated avoidant men so I was Mm. so anxious I was so far in that like anxious attachment I didn't even see my own avoidant tendencies it wasn't until I started healing the anxiety that the avoidance came out right a hundred percent yeah and and I know going back to that question of like how do you know if you're fearful avoidant is just um you know paying attention to how you how you behave, how you react when you sense any kind of danger, right? So like, for instance, my boyfriend getting angry, that to me was like danger, even still to this point. Um, But I've had to kind of change, like reframe my beliefs on that where I'm like, now I'm like, okay, people are allowed to be angry. It's not directed at me. I can Mm -hmm. go on with my my moment, right? Whereas before I would feel like I have to walk on eggshells, right? It's that type, like, what do you do when you're scared? Um, And if you're doing that often, then most likely you might have a fearful avoidant attachment style, right? Um, So it's just, yeah, again, paying attention to those different um, behaviors can kind of help you gauge your attachment. Yeah. Yeah. What was the thing that was the biggest for you in becoming more secure? What was your biggest, um, the work that really helped for you? Honestly, um, well, definitely understanding more of myself with, um, you know, like just understanding human behavior in general 
Um, and then like human design and all those things to just have more self-love for myself, but really understanding the attachment framework and knowing Mm -hmm. that, okay, this person is acting like this because of these things and knowing that naturally I will act like this, right? Naturally, Mm -hmm. I will walk on eggshells. Naturally, I will try to um, sue this person like fawn, right? Or I will dissociate. So it's really been like uh, just an awareness, like a lot of awareness of this is why people are the way they are. This Mm -hmm. is why I am the way I am. And I don't have to be, I don't have to continue acting in these old ways. Um, I can just be more secure in who I am. So it's really been like, identifying who this secure version of me is and how mm-hmm. she operates and like really just embodying that if that makes I love sense. that that yeah. totally makes sense because it even aligns with like you know I, I think about my process as being technically a very passive process I didn't have necessarily the full intention of becoming more ser- securely attached but when I look back at like my early 20s self, I do not even recognize her. Like, do not recognize her. Like, I would be dating someone and if I sent them a text and they didn't respond within half an hour, I would be like, they don't like me. I'm not good enough. What do I need to do to get their attention? You know, all of that stuff. So like looking at myself now, I can be dating someone and be like, I'm going on vacation. I'm not going to have much service. I'll talk to you in four days and like feel totally good about that. So seeing the difference there has been massive. And I remember when I was in my twenties and I was in that early stage of of managing that Mm. anxiety that was so heightened. um, There were two things. The one was that I started constantly challenging myself of like, can I go 10 more minutes without calling? Can I go 15 more minutes without Mm. reaching out? Can I go to sleep and see what happens if I don't blow up and create the thing that I'm scared of? And most times, nine times out of 10, I was proven wrong. I would get that like, hey, babe, text three minutes after I almost sent a big like, fuck you, we're done. Right? right. That like big angry text that we do. Right. Um, and doing that enough, proving myself wrong enough. I think that helped me as well yeah. as I think some of that anxiety came from knowing that I wasn't being myself. So I was like, how can this person love me or want to be close to me Mm. or want to be connected to me when I don't even know who I am and when I'm hiding myself, right? So I think there's something to be said for that deconditioning process of learning to become more yourself because then it's much, much easier to feel safe in connection with other people, Mm. right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, 100%. And that's the huge thing too with human design is like, you actually can't live into your deconditioned self if you're not willing to do your trauma work. Like you just can't. It's like, yes, this system is really beautiful. Yes, it's it's really helpful. Um, but deconditioning is essentially just healing, right? And mm. um, sometimes I see people wanting to bypass that. You know, I've seen mm. people be like, why does deconditioning take seven years? Like that seems silly. I should be able to do it in a year. Well, no, you're doing trauma work. (laughs) You're healing yourself. That's not necessarily going to happen overnight. Right. Uh, Um, So I'm also excited for seeing like the two worlds kind of merge because right now they're very separate, right? 
not a lot of people who are trained in trauma and psychology are trained in human design and not a lot of people who are trained in human design have any understanding of trauma or psychology. So when they come together, I think that that's when this system is really going to like find its bearings, you know, Um, because right now it's just kind of for fun, but it can be so healing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. And just doing this work with you too, um, by the way, uh, everyone I'm working with Giselle (laughs) on my human design and amongst other things. Um, but just having that awareness because again, like with this research, there's so much that they can't explain, like why Mm -hmm. people, you know, why they have certain sensitivities or temperaments or whatever that is. Right. Um, and I feel like human design, like just from what you've shared with me, like these certain gates that I have, it's like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Why I'm just more, um, susceptible to certain things or to certain behaviors from other people. Um, and how I internalize that, right. Cause we all internalize things so differently based off mm-hmm. of just, we don't know, right. Like our energy, who we are, our genetics, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, combining those two worlds, I think just gives us, it's, man, it's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I'm excited for it. I'm really, really excited for it. Um, okay. Let's talk about your coaching program. Cause you have the eight week coaching program, which is what I'm doing. And that has been so helpful. Like, I love it. That, um, the, pamphlet like the pdf Mm -hmm. that you sent the attachment style blueprint yes okay yes that was so informative like the eight weeks is worth it just for that right because you have this map where you can go back and be like here are my strengths and here are my weaknesses this is what I'm working on this is like some affirmations like you have something concrete to work with and I like love that and I love that you start with that um but I'm so curious how you like came to this how you mm. came into like focusing on attachment and then creating this blueprint and this unique style of working with attachment that you have. Yeah. So I honestly was, uh, <laughs> I was, I, I was like rejecting working on relationships for a very long time. Um, because there was so much pain in my life around, relationships Mm -hmm. that I was like, I don't, and shame, like, I don't want people to, because you know, when you're coaching, you have to Mm -hmm. really be vulnerable and transparent about yourself and your own story. And that was something that I was so afraid because yes, there was so much abuse and like, Mm -hmm. just, you know, and that just would reflect poorly on me. And, Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, Jess, this is something, you know, girl like this is something you know it's something you're passionate about like I'm always talking about this stuff with people Mm -hmm. and uh this would be a great area for you to like teach on you know because of the wisdom that you've gained from it and luckily now I'm in a really healthy relationship although stuff always comes up of course but there's I, I feel like I have a lot to share so anyways um I learning and that's the thing I learned about some attachment work in graduate school for Mm -hmm. marriage and family therapy, but like not enough (laughs) at all. (laughs) Yes. And it really is like the basis of, of us and humans because humans are social creatures. And so Mm -hmm. we're always connecting, we're wired for attachment and our, you know, the way we view attachment is how we kind of view the world. So it's so important. And I feel like it needs to be addressed more in these therapy trainings. I don't understand why not. Um, but anyways, it just, it really helped 
the attachment work just helped me in my relationship to myself and understanding my partner. And so, Mm -hmm. and understanding my past partners, like why it was so chaotic, you know, why I was finding these incompatible partners. Um, And it was because we had these really traumatic attachments. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're always triggering each other. So with attachment work, you can really understand what your triggers are, right? So each attachment has specific triggers, has specific needs. Um, so, so yeah, so in this blueprint, I add all of that. So in your blueprint, you, um, I write about your different, you know, your strengths, your challenges, your triggers, your needs, um, everything about like activating strategies, deactivate all the components that go into attachment, your attachment style, um, just to help you understand yourself. And I know with therapy, it's hard to like write everything down because you want to be engaged in the session. Yes. So that's why I have this blueprint so that um, you don't have it's, to write all this stuff down. Yeah. I love that. And it's so helpful. The blueprint is like so, so, so helpful. Um, are you taking clients? You are. Yeah. 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 So there's single sessions. You can book a single session or there's the eight week coaching package, um, where we just dive deep into all of this. Um, it's very action oriented. So you're going to get like worksheets and different support throughout these eight weeks. Um, but yeah, it's really just helping you understand yourself and learning to be more secure within yourself and in your relationships. I love that. And I really love that you have the marriage and family therapy background, right? Because um, this type of coaching is so much about also being able to be with people like in their experiences and help them like validate them and a lot of those counseling skills, right? That I think um, I'm sure like most attachment coaches have trauma training and training and and some of that stuff, but I know some don't, right. They just have the knowledge Mm -hmm. and they have the ability to share that knowledge, but, um, having the knowledge and knowing how to help people integrate the knowledge are two different things. Right. And so I love that you have that background. Uh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's good. It's good to have that background. (laughs) It helps. I think about this a lot, even like when I wasn't seeing clients as a therapist anymore, when I took that break and I was just doing readings, I was like, this is so vulnerable for people. And I have people break down during readings all the time. And I used to always think of like people who don't have an understanding of vicarious trauma, people who don't understand like how to help walk people through this. I'm like, how do you even do this work? How do you even be an astrologer without some type of, of understanding of psychology or of, uh, or of counseling techniques, right? right. Um, so there's something I think about all the time, like how people yeah. are even doing it without that background. Yeah, you know? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And I think also like it comes like with you too, there's something with them, um, just being comfortable with someone that allows Mm -hmm. people to be uh, more vulnerable and open. Because when I talk to some of my clients, like it's it's hard to explain. Like I understand where they're coming from. Um, Actually, I don't know where I'm I'm going with this exactly, but (laughs) I love this. This is like the right mind in action. (laughs) It's yeah, it's, it's like, yes, I'm attuned to their trauma because I'm so used to it. It's kind of like, girl, just give it to me. You know what I mean? There's sometimes I don't even put those, like those techniques of like how to um, 
comfort someone with the trauma. It's just so naturally like, yes, girl, I see you. I see the pain. Let's just get to it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the exact same way. And I think too, I have always said that you can't, there are certain aspects of being a counselor, a coach, a healer that I don't know that you can train too. I think some of that is intuitive. Exactly. Some of that is just a natural gift too. So um, yeah. And there are gates in human design that speak to those natural abilities as well. Mm. So there's, there's all of that stuff. Human um, design. Human <laughs> design. Um, but yeah, I just think that this is so, so, so interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other questions that people will have maybe on fearful avoidant. Um, mm-hmm. If you could like, what would be the key things that might indicate to someone that this is something that they should look into in terms of their attachment style? Are there key like symptoms or um, expressions that you see that might Mm -hmm. be an indicator that they could get this looked at? Yeah, I would just say like, you know, in your relationships, especially because that's when we're most triggered, right? You Mm -hmm. might be, you might feel totally secure when you're by yourself, Mm-hmm. Um, but when that was my date- experience. Yeah, same, same. Yeah. But when you are dating or when you're in a relationship, that is when we're most triggered. So mm-hmm. I would, you know, for fearful avoidance, especially, it's more so um, you're just attracted to chaos. Yes. Naturally, you're attracted to drama. You're attracted to people that just don't treat you very well, or you're mm-hmm. doing that to them. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's very like, I, it, it's kind of like this roller coaster relationship where it's like, sometimes you guys are good. And then it's like really, really bad. And then it's like periods of bliss. And then it's really, really bad again. So it's just this inconsistency. Yeah. If you're experiencing that, like, yeah. it's not going to change unless you change yourself and also pick partners that are provide more safety and security and stability for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And not like blowing it up too. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. I love that. I think that that's huge because I know one of the biggest things that, um, this showed up, one of the biggest ways this showed up in my life was just having a really high pain tolerance in relationships yes. and being like, mm. I'll take the bad as long as the good is worth it. Like I'm good. I want the good, good and the bad, bad and the highs and the lows and everything in between. Like I was so much about the like depth and the experience and, and the chaos, yes. but then also the like way that it feels when things are really good. You know, I loved the intensity of those types of experiences. But then I also had to recognize that that was holding me back from a lot of my growth because all of my emotional energy was going into my fucking relationships. Wow. You hit the jackpot there. A hundred percent. That's the thing is when you have fearful avoidant attachment, your tolerance for pain is high. So you will tolerate like shit behavior, shit relationships for so long Mm -hmm. until you, until you work with your with yourself until you um, increase your self-worth until you learn mm-hmm. this isn't like this isn't healthy normal. it's not normal mm-hmm. and then you're like wow really like this isn't normal <laughs> like I didn't know that like I love yes. we love each other it's like yeah but there's healthier love to experience it doesn't have to be like yes. this yeah and the thing that I always found so interesting because there is like that 
that dopamine that you get from resolving a really deep conflict from like having this blow up and then you resolve it and you there's like that connectedness like I used to always just like love that feeling so much and I would look at my friends who just had very stable relationships where there wasn't that conflict and then there also wasn't that conflict resolution I would kind of look at that and be like oh that looks kind of boring you know and then now obviously I look at that and I'm like that's so healthy um and they don't have to have these big blow-ups in order to feel connected. Like how beautiful True. is that? Right. Yeah. But I think, um, I think for me anyways, and with my sister, who's also fearful avoidant, I think um, we talk about this all the time about that, like addiction to chaos and addiction to that excitement. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah. that's a great example of talking about the hot and cold and the highs and lows. Yeah. And, and that also brings to mind, too, where like if that's what you learned, if that's how you learned to relate when you were younger, like that is just how the like you're neurolog- neurologically wired to kind of experience love that way. Mm-hmm. So that just feels very habitual and very natural for you. And just know yeah. that, you know, there is neuroplasticity, which means that we can change those circuits in our brain by just um, embodying, right, a new mm-hmm. behavior by just trying something new consistently until that becomes our new way of experiencing love. But it's going to feel very unnatural. That's mm-hmm. why, like, you know, the nice guy is boring because it's, yeah. it's not normal for us. So we have to give these new experiences a chance. Like we just have to. Yeah. And, and then, you know, rewire all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love and that's it. what we do in the coaching too, is just like mm-hmm. creating these new systems in place for you. But obviously that's, that's all you, like, you got to do that for yourself at the yeah. end, you know? Yeah. I love that. Um, Okay. I think that that was all of the like big questions, the big things. I know I'm probably going to get people that have questions about the other attachment styles and maybe we'll bring you on again um, to talk about them. But is there anything else that you feel like when it comes to working with your attachment and healing your attachment, no matter what your attachment style is, is there anything that you wish more people knew about this? Um, yeah, just know that we're all operating from our own attachment systems. So again, like when you can understand and learn about attachment styles, you will just have a lot more love and understanding for people Mm -hmm. as opposed to like threat and danger and judgment from what you don't know. So just having that awareness piece, I think is so profound and just seeing people for who they are and not what you're making them mean because you don't understand what they're going through. So it's just, it's such good insight. And I recommend everyone learning Mm -hmm. about attachments. (laughs) Yes, me too. 100%. Love that. Okay. Well, this is so good. And this, I know this will be so helpful for people. Um, And I'm really excited to get this out because there's just not a lot of information about fearful avoidant attachment online um, Mm -hmm. that isn't like very clinical and hard to digest. So I think the work that you're doing is so important. Thanks, Gisela. I love the work that you're doing too. (laughs) I can't wait till we combine it. It's going to be so juicy. Me too.